What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Section 15 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 7. Lorenzo de' Medici, Galeazzo Maria Sforza, Part 2. The conspiracy of the Pazzi was a product of various causes. In this plan was the desire to get rid of a tyrant, this was an unlovely and unlooked-for result of the study of antiquity. The same feeling had driven Stefano Precario in 1453 to form a conspiracy against Pope Nicholas V, and it caused the murder of Galeazzo Maria to be received in Florence with a certain degree of approbation. The Principate was consolidating itself. This had been shown as early as 1474 by the harsh measures which were taken to suppress the revolt of Volterra. Relations had also become strained between the Florentines and the Pope, but the exact reasons of the quarrel remain in obscurity. The expedition of a condottiere general, Carlo Forte Braccia da Montone, son of the famous Braccio, in 1477, for the conquest of Siena, is supposed to have had something to do with it. The Sienese suspected that the Florentines had connived at the enterprise, and they claimed the support of the Pope, Ferrante, and the Duke of Milan. They revenged themselves by capturing the castle of Montone on September 27th. The Pope accused the Florentines of having made Montone master of Perugia, and of having stirred up the war with Siena. At any rate, in February 1478, there was a close alliance between the Pope and King Ferrante for the advantage of Girolamo Riario. Ferrante was to have Siena, perhaps Riario was to have Florence. Traders were not wanting in Florence itself. One of the most powerful of the Florentine families was that of the Pazzi, who stood only second to the Medici in consideration and wealth. Cosimo had taken care to marry the sister of Lorenzo to Giulielmo de Pazzi. His elder brother, Francesco, was sullen, jealous, and discontented, and waited eagerly for an opportunity of overturning the rival family. This local jealousy was fostered by the court of Rome under the influence of Girolamo Riario, who was always stirring up his uncle to overthrow the power of the Medici. Francesco Pazzi was made the banker of the Holy See instead of the House of Medici. There was also another cause of quarrel. On the death of Filippo de' Medici, Archbishop of Pisa, in 1474, Sixtus IV appointed Francesco Salviati to the vacant see. Salviati was a Florentine, but not of the Medician party, and Lorenzo refused to give him the possession of the cathedral. The Pope had also wished to make him Archbishop of Florence, but Lorenzo obtained this dignity for his relative, Rinaldo Orsini. 
the conspirators found an instrument ready to their hands in the person of john battista de montisecco a mercenary soldier in the service of count girolamo riario it is from his confession written down at florence on may fourth fourteen seventy eight of which there is no reason to doubt the correctness that we derive the best information as to the details of the conspiracy the confession is especially important as throwing light on the question as to exactly how far pope sixtus the fourth was implicated in the plot the guilt of giuliano's murder was generally ascribed to the pope but it is certain that he limited himself to the desire of a change in the government of florence and that he expressly forbade the shedding of blood he said i do not desire the death of any one on any account because it is not consistent with our office to consent to the death of any one and although lorenzo is a villain and is on bad terms with us yet i do not wish his death on any account but only a change of government on girolamo suggesting that the pope would at least grant absolution after the deed if it could not be effected in any other way sixtus replied thou art a beast and turning to montesecco told him that he must wrest the government from the hands of lorenzo and that then we will make of that republic what we desire and it will aid in a great purpose of ours whether sixtus ought not to have known that a change in government was impossible without murder is another question and we must condemn him for being an accessory before the fact the conscience of montesecco was not appeased and he asked the count on another occasion if it was really true that his uncle consented to the crime girolamo answered do you not know that we can make him do anything we please troops were now brought up from the romagna and from arezzo to take the necessary measures when the deed was done the plan was finally matured in the villa of the pazzi at montughi another young cardinal being present raffaele sansone sister's son to girolamo riario who had been recently raised to the purple the other conspirators were two of the family of the salviati both bearing the name of giacomo bernard di bandino de baroncelli antonio maffei of volterra a papal scribe who wished to avenge in the person of lorenzo the desolation of his native city stefano bagnone the chaplain of giacomo de pazzi and jacopo de poggio bracciolini also rinaldo and Giulielmo de pazzi the latter of whom had married a sister of the medici it had been determined not to carry out the design unless both brothers were present and the first plan was to effect it at a banquet given by lorenzo to the new cardinal sansone in the medici villa at fiesole now the villa mozzi but it was put off because giuliano could not be present on account of ill health Polishan tells us this who was himself present at the banquet as the tutor of lorenzo's son then a boy of seven years old it was then determined that the murder should take place on sunday april twenty sixth in the cathedral of florence at the moment of the elevation of the host in the morning montesecco entered florence with thirty mounted arquebusiers and fifty foot soldiers the archbishop salviati went to the public place with some armed men to drive out the priors montesecco had been told off to kill lorenzo but he refused and antonio of volterra and stefano bagnone were put in his place at the given moment 
when it was assumed that both brothers were kneeling in adoration bernardo barancelli francesco de pazzi and others fell upon giuliano at the first wound he attempted to escape but his strength failed him he fell to the ground and was soon dispatched antonio of volterra stabbed lorenzo in the neck but he defended himself with the assistance of the cavalcanti family fled into the sacristy on the gospel side now decorated with the doors of sansovino and held his own against his assailants the young cardinal sansone only seventeen years old looked on in wonder at a scene of which he probably understood but little the town rose to the cry of pale pale not for freedom but against the murderers while this was going on the archbishop was at the public palace talking with the standard-bearer of justice and waiting for the moment when the uproar in the street should announce that the deed was done the standard-bearer suspected him from his talk and arrested him at the same time giacomo de pazzi occupied the gate of santa croce with montesecco and his arquebusiers he then went into the great square to rouse the people and to assist his nephew francesco who had been wounded finding that all was lost he first retired to his house and then fled by the santa croce gate the archbishop salviati and some others of the conspirators were hanged from the windows of the public palace and the same fate befell francesco de pazzi who was dragged from his house naked and bleeding the rest of the conspirators were executed monteseco was beheaded on may fourth beroncelli fled to constantinople but was surrendered and executed december twenty ninth fourteen seventy nine niccolo vespucci alone escaped giovanni de pazzi was buried in the family chapel in the church of santa croce a heavy rain fell on that day which was taken to signify the displeasure of heaven that so notorious a malefactor should be buried in holy ground his body was disinterred and laid behind the murate the rain continuing his corpse was again dug up and after being dragged ignominiously through the city with scornful songs was thrown into the arno it was never seen again and it was said that the devil had taken it the property of the pazzi was confiscated the square in front of their palace received a new name and the remaining members of the family changed for the time at least their arms and their appellation the family still exists at florence at the present day giuliano was the darling of the populace he died unmarried but left an infant child who was adopted by lorenzo and who forty-five years afterwards became pope under the name of clement the seventh he justified the conspiracy of the pazzi by enslaving florence and placing a dynasty of spurious and degenerate medici on the throne the conspiracy only served to increase the reputation of lorenzo giuciardini concludes his account of the conspiracy with the following words such was the end of civil dissensions and discords one party is exterminated the head of the other becomes lord of the city his supporters and adherents become his subjects the people and the state are enslaved the principate becomes hereditary gino caponi observed that all the great conspiracies which took place in italy from the middle of the fifteenth to the middle of the sixteenth century ended in the same way the porcri the pazzi the fieschi the murderers of galeazzo sforza of alessandro de medici 
and of Pier Luigi Farnese. The principates were not overthrown, and the conspirators lost their lives. It is said that the young cardinal never forgot the horror of that terrible hour. The pallor of terror clung to him until death. He had been imprisoned on the day of the murder, and was not set free till June 12th. End of section 15. Section 16 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 7. Lorenzo de' Medici, Galeazzo Maria Sforza, Part 3. The effect of the conspiracy on the Roman court was unexpected. Sixtus IV, instead of expressing his indignation at the crime which had been committed by his friends, launched the thunder of the Holy See against the city of Florence. He complained that an archbishop had been murdered and a cardinal legate imprisoned. He laid the city under an interdict and joined himself with King Ferrante for the destruction of the Medici. It is fair to say that his conduct roused the indignation of the Christian world. Venice, herself in the anguish of a terrible struggle against the Turks, Milan, Ferrara, and Rimini promised their assistance to Lorenzo. Louis XI, always well disposed to the Medici, gave his special sanction to the League and sent the historian Philippe de Comines to represent him at Florence. He desired to summon a council of the church at Orleans and sent letters of expostulation to the Pope. The Emperor and Matthias Corvinus of Hungary also sent ambassadors to Rome to warn the Pope from his purpose. It is not necessary to follow minutely the fortunes of this war. Ludovico Sforza, the brother of the murdered Galeazzo Maria, called Il Moro, or the Moor from his dark complexion, had seized the inheritance of his nephew, and there was some danger of his making terms with King Ferrante and so breaking up the alliance with Florence. Lorenzo determined on a bold course of his own motion, and without communicating his desire, he sailed to Naples, where Filippo Strazzi, belonging to a distinguished Florentine family, had a considerable business, and in three months he had produced such an effect on King Ferrante by his courtesy and manners that peace was made between Florence and Naples. The Pope was furious at the news and determined to prosecute the war more vigorously than ever. But in 1480, the Admiral of Mohammed II conquered the Ionian Islands, subduing them with difficulty. He then suddenly crossed the narrow sea and began to threaten the coasts of southern Italy. This probably disposed Sixtus to recognize the peace made between Lorenzo and Ferrante, which was solemnly published on the day of the Annunciation, March 25, 1480. The city of Otranto was besieged by the Turks on July 28 and was captured on August 11, the greater part of the inhabitants being put to the sword. The Turks then began to ravage the lands of Luca and Brindisi. The Pope and the King now began to feel in earnest that the Sultan was knocking at their doors, the Pope prepared to fly for refuge to France. It was thought that Mohammed II, as Lord of Constantinople, might claim for himself the whole inheritance of the empire 
and stab the heart of Christendom by aiming a blow at Rome. However, on May 30th, 1481, this victorious sultan suddenly died. The conquests of the Ottoman Turks were checked for a moment by his death, and Otranto was recovered. The terror inspired by its loss had disposed Sixtus IV to forgive the Florentines. In December 1480 they received solemn absolution for their offences. The doors of St. Peter were closed, the papal chair was placed in the loggia. The Florentine ambassadors, having confessed their sins, knelt before the Pope and were touched by the sword of discipline and absolution. The gates were thrown open, and they were once more allowed to enter a church. Even before this final pacification, Lorenzo had taken care to modify the government of Florence so as to secure his own power. The councils of the hundred, of the people, and of the commune approved the election of thirty citizens, who, together with the priors, were to elect a balia of two hundred and ten citizens of the age of at least thirty years. The thirty, the two hundred, and the executive government were charged with making a scrutiny, by which they were to select forty-eight other citizens chosen equally from the four quarters of the city. As the Council of Thirty might have the appearance of being too oligarchical, the Signoria, that is, the priors and the standard-bearer of justice, determined a few days later to add to them forty other members. This was the origin of the Council of Seventy, which during the whole of Lorenzo's Principate continued to elect the priors and the standard-bearer, this council proved a useful instrument of personal government in the hands of the Medici. The last four years of the life of Pope Sixtus IV were mainly occupied by two enterprises, the war against Ferrara and the attempt to exterminate the family of Colonna. The war against Ferrara, in which Venice was the Pope's ally, was begun by Sixtus IV with the main object of securing a temporal principality for his nephew, Girolamo Riario. It was for this that he stirred up the cupidity of Venice, intending afterwards to cheat her for his own advantage. Naples, Milan, and Florence acted together to protect Ferrara. The war raged most hotly in the south and in the north. On August 20th, 1482, was fought the Battle of Campo Morto in the midst of the deadly swamps of the Pontine Marshes. Rinaldo Malatesta of Rimini defeated Alfonso, Duke of Calabria, the eldest son of King Ferrante, at the head of the Neapolitan army. The result of this battle was that the Pope became tired of the war, and being threatened by the Emperor with another council of Basel, and being afraid of the aggrandizement of Venice, he changed his policy and joined the alliance of Naples, Florence, and Milan. The alliance was published on April 30th, 1483. The war with Venice continued for some time longer. During its course, the Republic made overtures to the House of France, urging the young King Charles VIII to undertake the conquest of Naples and to the Duke of Orléans the acquisition of the Duchy of Milan, to which he laid claim as representing the family of Visconti. Peace was eventually concluded at Bagnolo in the neighborhood of Brescia in August 1484. The limits between the Milanese and the Venetian territory were laid down as those fixed by the Peace of Lodi in 1454. Conquests on either side were to be restored, 
with the exception of the polesina which remained in the possession of venice the duke of ferrara promised to make no more salt at comacchio which had been one of the chief causes of the quarrel the peace of bagnolo was the occasion of great rejoicing at venice but it was received by the pontiff with different emotions when he heard the news on august eleventh he was very seriously ill of gout he was deeply affected and said that he had undertaken the war for the security of the church and that he was deeply distressed that he had not succeeded in obtaining it on the following day he died as we have said the last year of his life was also occupied by a war with the colonna of whom the orsini were the hereditary rivals the orsini were adherents of the pope the medici and the league whereas the colonna were friends of king ferrante now that the pope and the king were friends it was rather difficult to find a pretext for war but one was discovered in a strip of disputed territory open war did not begin till may fourteen eighty four when girolamo riario and virginio orsini attacked the houses of the colonna they took them after a stubborn resistance and captured lorenzo colonna who had his head cut off on the last day of june five days before marino had fallen into the hands of the pontiff and on the last day of july capranica also fell that once powerful family was nearly ruined the unexpected death of the pope put an end to these designs count girolamo riario abandoned his war against the colonna and in the first moment of terror took refuge in the castle of spoleto he then returned to rome while his wife shut herself up in the castle of st angelo the colonna recovered marino and capranica and returned to rome four days after the pope's death while the orsini withdrew in their turn for a few days it was impossible to perform the obsequies of the dead pope but the city became gradually quieter on august twenty fifth girolamo's wife surrendered the castle of st angelo to the cardinals who met in conclave on the following day there were twenty-five present of whom the most influential were marco barbo and giuliano della rovere much authority was also possessed by ascanio sforza the brother of ludovico the moor barbo finding that he could not procure the papacy for himself joined with giuliano della rovere in procuring it for a genoese by name john battista cibo he took the title of innocent the eighth he was an inoffensive man who wished no harm to any one perhaps the most remarkable thing about him is that he was the first pope openly to recognize his children of whom he had two franceschetto and teodoridi born while he was still a layman cardinal giuliano della rovere afterwards pope under the name of julius the second exercised a great influence at the papal court and involved the holy father in the intrigues of europe the only events which disturbed the serenity of lorenzo de medici's declining years were the war between florence and genoa for the recovery of sarzana which had been seized by them and the certain participation in the barons war of naples in which lorenzo helped king ferrante to put down his rebellious nobles who on their side were countenanced by the pope this war of the barons was a last attempt to preserve the feudal system against the encroachments of royal power 
and is analogous to the similar struggle which engaged the chief energies of louis the eleventh of france the family circumstances of lorenzo were most prosperous his daughter maddalena was married in fourteen eighty eight to the pope's son franceschetto cibo but the marriage was saddened by the death of his faithful wife clarice his eldest son piero was united about the same time to alfonsina daughter of roberto orsini of the branch of bracciano his second son giovanni was nominated cardinal in fourteen eighty nine at the age of twelve this was done in petto that is in the breast of the pope or secretly and the appointment was not to take effect until three years afterwards the boy was brought up at the university of pisa together with cesare the son of the cardinal rodrigo borgia one of the most notable and infamous characters in italian history they were both intended for the ecclesiastical condition but their destiny was very different giovanni became pope leo x and cesare borgia died in exile fighting in spain the solemn opening of the bull in the abbey of fiesole the gorgeous ceremonial in the church of our lady of the flower the departure of the boy cardinal for rome all took place in march fourteen ninety two only just before his father's death before he went his father took an affecting leave of him he foresaw his own approaching end and felt anxious for the future of his son in a long letter which he wrote to him at this time he recommends to him piety and gratitude to god for the benefits he had received he says you are now entering upon a scene of greater danger i know that in going to rome which is the seat of all wickedness you will find it very hard to carry out what i have advised you but i remember to have seen among the cardinals some men of saintly life follow their example although there is but little virtue at the present moment in the sacred college he recommends him again and again to adorn himself with the virtues which are becoming to a true cardinal use not too much silk or gold prefer rather the charm of antiquities and beautiful books and let your suite be noted rather for its courtesy and its learning than for its numbers after many years of suffering lorenzo died at his villa at Careggi in april eighth fourteen ninety two at the early age of forty-three his relations to literature and art do not strictly belong to political history but it is difficult to imagine lorenzo the magnificent separated from pico della mirandola from politian and from marsilio ficino he had grown up in a circle of learned men drawn to his palace by the munificence of his grandfather ficino who owed everything to the protection of the medici family was an ecclesiastic who endeavoured to harmonise science and faith platonism and christianity he edited a latin translation of the whole of plato's works which was published in fourteen eighty two at the expense of filippo valori cristoforo landino translated pliny and lectured not only on homer and virgil but on petrarch and dante the first florentine edition of the divina commedia published in fourteen eighty one contains a commentary by him lorenzo's own poems were of a light and amorous character he extended his patronage to pulci the author of the morgante maggiore another of the medicean circle was politian 
whose proper name was Angelo Ambrogini da Montepulciano. Seldom has the world known so versatile an intellect. He wrote verses in Greek, Latin, and Italian. He was a poet, a philologist, and a philosopher of the school of Ficino. He translated Hippocrates, Galen, and Herodian, and began a version of the Iliad. Giovanni Pico of Mirandola was, as his name implies, not a Tuscan, but with Ermolaio Barbaro he enjoyed the hospitality of the Medician house. He came to Florence in 1484 about the age of twenty. He was a Platonist of the school of Ficino, but he was also an eclectic, as is shown by the nine hundred theses which he proposed to defend at Rome. Thirteen of them were found to be heretical, and the Pope forbade the controversy. Lorenzo founded a museum of antiquities and collected a valuable library. He profited much by the sale of the library of Matthias Corvinus in 1490. He used to spend 30,000 ducats a year on books. His patronage of art extended itself to San Gallo, the architect, Verrocchio, the sculptor, the painters Lipino Lippi and Domenico Ghirlandaio. The mighty name of Leonardo da Vinci is also connected with that of Lorenzo. By his assistance, Leonardo studied the remains of ancient art in the Medician garden of St. Mark. The malady from which Lorenzo had so long suffered began to grow much worse at the beginning of April 1492. His last days were enriched by the conversation of his son Pietro, of Ficino, of Pico, and above all of Politian. Presages announced the coming catastrophe. Above all, the dome of Our Lady of the Flower was struck by lightning. Fra Girolamo Savonarola, of whom an account will be given in a later chapter, came to shrive him in his dying hours. We do not know for certain what passed between them. It is said that before Savonarola would give him absolution, he asked three things of him, to have faith in God, to restore what he had wrongly taken, and to give back liberty to his country, and that the dying man assented to the first two, but refused the third, upon which absolution was denied him. The story is inconsistent with the account given by Politian, the intimate friend of Lorenzo, and it is probable that the tyrant received absolution from the monk. Pope Innocent VIII did not long survive him. He died on July 25, 1492. End of section 16. Section 17 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 8. Charles VIII in Italy. Part 1. The year 1492 is an important date, not only in the history of Italy, but in the history of the world. The expedition of Charles VIII, King of France, into the Italian peninsula is generally regarded as the close of the Middle Ages and the beginning of modern times. From that event it becomes possible to regard the history of Italy as a whole and to survey the entire system of European states from a single point of view. This year, as we have seen, witnessed the death of Lorenzo de' Medici and of Pope Innocent VIII the one removed an influence which had preserved peace in Italy, 
and prevented suppressed passion breaking out into wild excess the other was followed by the accession of alexander the sixth the pope who has helped to give a meaning of horror to the name of borgia the same year saw the final expulsion of the moors from spain which allowed that country to assume a leading place in the affairs of europe while the following year is signalized by the discovery of america by columbus the immediate cause of the expedition of charles the eighth which wrought so momentous a change lay in the circumstances of the duchy of milan and to the history of milan we shall now recur after the murder of galeazzo maria in fourteen seventy six his son john galeazzo was proclaimed duke being at that time eight years old john galeazzo had a brother erone a year younger than himself and two sisters one bianca maria betrothed to philibert of savoy and the other anne who was intended to marry a prince of the court of ferrara the duchess bona assumed the guardianship of her son in january fourteen seventy seven and her most trusted minister was chico simonetta a calabrian who had been secretary to galeazzo maria and to francesco sforza the murdered duke had left five brothers of these filippo maria and ottaviano were in milan and three others had been banished ascanio to rome ludovico il moro and sforza maria duke of bari to france on returning to milan they found the duchess and simonetta established in their places they immediately formed a party against their sister-in-law but by the mediation of ludovico gonzaga duke of mantua and the assistance of the pope and the florentines peace was for the present preserved the uncles obtained not only an annual pension but a fortress and a palace in milan for each the young duke was solemnly crowned with the approbation of the empire on st george's day april twenty third fourteen seventy eight just before this giuliano de medici had been murdered in the conspiracy of the pazzi and in the war which ensued the duchess lent assistance to the florentines the pope and king ferrante succeeded in stirring up the swiss to fight against the duke of milan the men of uri crossed the st Gotthard pass into the valle leventina bellinzona an old possession of the visconti was besieged and the battle of giornico fought in november fourteen seventy eight was a severe defeat for the milanese about a year after this ludovico il moro who was in open alliance with the king of naples managed to come to terms with his sister-in-law and entered milan he soon persuaded her to dismiss her faithful servant simonetta who was imprisoned at pavia for a year and then beheaded on his tomb in the church of st empolinar were carved the following lines my country's faithful servant and my lord's i perished by the guile of treacherous words ludovico then proceeded to sow dissension between the young duke and his mother and eventually drove her away from the capital on november third fourteen eighty ludovico il moro was solemnly appointed guardian of his nephew and regent of the duchy from this moment ludovico already duke of bari after the death of his brother was virtually duke of milan in everything but name nothing of any great importance happened for several years in october fourteen eighty eight 
the city of genoa was formally given up to the moor who received the banner of st george the sceptre the keys and the seal of the commune thus perished the independence of that ancient republic the young duke of milan had been betrothed at a very early age to a neapolitan princess isabella the daughter of alfonso duke of calabria as he grew up to manhood king ferrante demanded the fulfilment of the contract but under various pretenses il moro continued to put it off at last he could defer it no longer and on february first fourteen eighty nine the fair neapolitan princess was received with all honour in the castle of milan and the marriage was celebrated the young couple established themselves at pavia and early in fourteen ninety one a son was born to them who received the name of francesco sforza isabella was endowed both with courage and with wisdom but her husband although of mild and excellent character had been purposely left uneducated and had no experience in affairs the moor was very sorry that he had ever allowed his nephew to marry and he determined to conclude a double alliance with the house of este he married beatrice daughter of ercole duke of ferrara and gave his niece anne to the duke's eldest son this made matters worse beatrice was devoted to pomp and luxury the two brides quarrelled with each other isabella was compelled to live with her husband in the dull imprisonment of pavia whilst milan was full of wealth and hilarity tourneys jousts and pageants were the order of the day the machinery for which was often designed by the cunning hand of leonardo da vinci isabella complained to her grandfather but without effect ludovico had the keenness to perceive that his power needed strengthening he bethought him that the right of the sforzas to the duchy of milan had never been formally confirmed by the empire and he thought that this confirmation might be conveniently effected in his own person he therefore entered into an arrangement with maximilian son of the emperor frederick the third by which he promised his niece bianca in marriage to maximilian on the condition that he when emperor would grant il moro the investiture of the fief this agreement was of course kept secret for the present the support of germany however was not sufficient king ferrante would certainly take the side of his son-in-law so he turned for assistance to the quarter whence assistance had often come before and persuaded charles the eighth king of france to revive his claims on the throne of naples and march into italy charles the eighth the son of louis the eleventh was thirteen years of age when his father died in fourteen eighty three during his minority the government of france had been conducted by the strong hand of his sister anne of france commonly called anne of beaujeu from the title of her husband when he came of age he married by a sudden change of policy anne of brittany and thus united to the crown the last great province which stood apart from france and saved it from the clutches of the house of austria we have a description of him as he appeared at this time from the venetian ambassador contarini the king is mean in appearance and ugly to look at his great lacklustre eyes see but little he has a hooked nose disproportionately large and thick lips which he always keeps open 
he is continually making awkward ungainly gestures with his hands and is drawling in his speech i may be mistaken but i think that he is of little use either in body or mind the claims of charles to the throne of naples were of two kinds in the first place he was descended in the female line from charles of anjou king of naples the eldest son of charles called charles the second or the lame or in italian history carlo novello had a daughter margaret of anjou who married charles of valois the father of king philip the sixth from whom charles the eighth was lineally descended again charles duke of men nephew and heir to rene of provence had on his death in fourteen eighty one left all his dominions to louis the eleventh from whom the claim passed to his son charles the eighth in order to obtain a free hand for his italian expedition charles made peace with his enemies who were likely to interfere with him he contracted the treaty of etap with henry the seventh of england he yielded roussillon for the sake of peace to king ferdinand of aragon and he allowed margaret of austria also for the sake of peace to take back with her to germany the sovereignty of artois and franche comte the french people thought that the crown of naples if it was ever won would be dearly bought by these sacrifices the papal throne was at this time occupied by rodrigo borgia under the title of alexander the sixth his election was unexpected the principal cardinals at the death of innocent were besides himself raffaele riario and giuliano della rovere the two nephews of the late pope and ascanio sforza the brother of ludovico il moro barbo whom the venetians hoped would receive the tiara had died shortly before and his countrymen believed that he had been poisoned by ferrante of naples it is said that borgia owed his election to bribery and that four mules laden with silver were seen to enter the palace of ascanio before the conclave this story does not come from an impartial source his character has been much disputed and he had undoubtedly some good qualities but after making all allowances for the character of the defects of the renaissance it is difficult to avoid the conclusion that his reign marks the lowest level of papal morality giuciardini tells that the king ferrante predicted that borgia would prove the curse of italy and in that he was not mistaken the historian allows him good sense eloquence and capacity for affairs but complains that these qualities were obscured by his dissolute life his want of uprightness modesty truth honesty faith and religion his insatiable avarice and ambition his cruelty and his unbridled anxiety for the advancement of his sons who were as bad as himself the pope had five children four sons and a daughter their mother's name was vanozza castanei the eldest son piero luigi was created duke of gandia by ferdinand of aragon he died young and was succeeded in his dukedom by his brother giovanni cesare borgia came next his father made him archbishop of valencia immediately after his accession although he was not yet in orders and shortly afterwards cardinal the pope's daughter lucrezia of world-wide fame was at this time a graceful lively child of twelve years old 
with beautiful golden hair she had been betrothed to a spanish nobleman but she was married at the age of thirteen to giovanni sforza bastard son and successor to costanzo lord of pizarro who was a nephew of francesco sforza the marriage was celebrated with great pomp on june twelfth fourteen ninety three the pope was present at the banquet the ball the play which followed and the songs as well as the cardinals and ambassadors of venice milan ferrara and france previously to this in april fourteen ninety three an alliance for five-and-twenty years had been signed between rome milan and venice to which the young king of france was invited to accede alexander's youngest son was Gioffredo. he married the daughter of alfonso the second of naples and received from him the principality of squilace in the south of italy the character of lucrezia borgia has been most unjustly abused her contemporaries describe her as high-minded sensible strong in character highly accomplished speaking and writing spanish italian french greek and latin the plans of charles the eighth were not unknown to king ferrante he sent ambassadors to france to meet the coming danger but they were of no avail he tried in vain to obtain assistance from the pope who only replied that the french were also good christians he also turned to venice and even to england a wiser counsel was to attempt to rouse piero de medici from his state of torpor and to urge him to arm the duke of urbino on january seventeenth fourteen ninety four he addressed one last despairing appeal to alexander but a week after this the aged monarch was dead ferrante and lorenzo had been the two princes who preserved the balance of power in italy and now that they were gone ruin was inevitable Ferrante was succeeded by his son, the Duke of Calabria, under the title of Alfonso II. He was a man of no courage or ability, and was proud, cruel, and insincere. His relations with Ludovico il Moro were naturally of the most bitter character. Charles VIII did his utmost to secure allies in Italy. The two marquises of Saluzzo and Montferrat, on the Italian border, promised their aid il moro was able to secure to him the advantage of the genoese fleet venice rejected his overtures and remained neutral florence adhered firmly to the alliance with naples but piero de medici was not a man of great ability fra girolamo savonarola thundered from the pulpit of the cathedral that god was preparing some great punishment for the sins of his country and of the roman court the advance of the french was too completely a fulfilment of his own prophecies for him to call out the full energy of patriotic zeal the pope although he was in alliance with milan yet began to become alive to the danger of foreign conquest he invested alfonso with the kingdom of naples in may fourteen eighty four and a few days afterwards his son Gioffrido was married to alfonso's daughter sancia at the same time the cardinal giuliano della rovere having been summoned to do homage to the pope at rome had taken refuge in france and it is said that his advice gave the final impulse to the hesitating charles charles had arrived at lyon at the beginning of march he left it on july twenty second and a month later reached grenoble here his queen left him and he pursued his march to italy alone End 
of section seventeen section eighteen of the age of the condottieri by oscar browning this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter eight charles the eighth in italy part two charles passed the mont genève on september second and entered piedmont on the following day his army was composed of ninety thousand men his navy of four hundred and fifty ships his most formidable arm the artillery was drawn by light horses instead of the oxen of the italians and was furnished with movable carriages it is difficult to exaggerate the importance of this event it was a new attempt to conquer italy by a foreign force after a lapse of many years it was very different from those expeditions of the german emperors to be crowned at rome with which the italians were familiar to the french it was the discovery of a new land they knew nothing of the wealth of art and culture with which italy had adorned herself during two hundred years the leader of the expedition was a weak ill-shapen young man of twenty-two who seemed incapable of commanding so brilliant an army but his was only the arm to execute the head which planned and directed the exploit was that of ludovico il moro charles entered asti on september ninth fourteen ninety four the cardinal giuliano and the duke of ferrara were awaiting his arrival thither came the duke of orleans to bring news to his cousin of his recent victory over the aragonese fleet and thither came also the usurping duke of milan and beatrice his wife here the king fell suddenly ill however in a few weeks he recovered and after visiting his ally the marquis of montferrat at casale came to pavia where on october fourteenth he visited the unfortunate john galeazzo on his bed of sickness the duke was hot with fever racked with a consuming cough and evidently near his end he recommended to the king his young son francesco sforza count of pavia however much the entreaties of the unfortunate young man and of his wife isabella may have touched his heart it did not change his policy he was with the moor at piacenza when a week later he heard of the death of john galeazzo perhaps poisoned by his uncle Ludovico hastened to Milan, where he secured his election as duke. The Pope, the King of Naples, and Piero de' Medici in vain attempted to rouse Venice to action. She preserved a complete neutrality, and refused to lend the king fifty thousand ducats, even at the request of Philippe de Comines. As the army passed through the Romagna, the camps of the French and the Aragonese were always one in advance of the other, but the only engagements were insignificant skirmishes. Catarina Sforza, Lady of Imola, declared for the French. The French now entered the Apennines by the pass of Pontremoli, at the southern foot of which stood the fortified town of Sarzana, which belonged to the Florentines. Piero Caponi had, when he was sent as ambassador to France, advised the Medici to conclude a French alliance but they hesitated to take so decisive a step now piero de medici on his own authority went to the king who was lodging in an abbey near sarzana and yielded everything that he asked for 
he promised him two hundred thousand ducats and the immediate surrender of sarzana sarzanella pietra santa libra frata pisa and leghorn as a pledge for the payment of the money the king promised to restore them at the end of the expedition the cowardice of piero roused the florentines to indignation capone cried that it was now time to get rid of the government of children and to recover liberty a new embassy was sent of which savonarola formed part they found the king at pisa which he had entered on november eighth with three thousand cavalry the pisans were only too glad to purchase the freedom of their city they threw down the sitting lions which were the emblem of florentine supremacy and cast them into the arno when piero de medici returned to florence he found the citizens united against him he tried to approach the signory but the door of the public palace was shut in his face his enemies rose in tumult the party of the medici were defeated in the streets and the three brothers piero giuliano and the cardinal giovanni were driven from the town after the departure of the medici the citizens exiled in fourteen thirty four were restored including the pazzi lorenzo and giovanni sons of pier francesco de medici were allowed to return being thought to be on the popular side on november seventeenth fourteen ninety four charles the eighth entered florence a canopy was supported by four florentine doctors and under this rode the king on a magnificent horse his coat was cloth of gold his cloak of blue and on his head he wore an enormous white cap so that he appeared as if he were nothing but horse and cap being a little man with a smiling face and a hooked nose and plenty of soldiers round him he bore his lance in rest as if he were entering a conquered town the terms finally arranged between the king and the people were that the medici should remain in banishment and florence should be free the fortresses should be held by the french till the end of the war and that the town should pay twenty thousand gold florins in three instalments toward the expense of the expedition the king at first proposed much harder conditions but piero caponi tore the paper in two and said since you demand dishonourable things you shall sound your trumpets and we will ring our bells from florence charles issued a proclamation declaring that his real object was to march against the turks and that he only asked for a passage through the roman territory alexander was in the greatest embarrassment he knew how insecure his position was that it was believed that he had obtained the tiara by simony and that all his enemies were ready to rise against him however he boldly refused the passage he forbade the king to advance any nearer he fortified the buildings of rome he even packed up and prepared for flight but the patrimony of st peter was undefended charles left florence on november twenty eighth and reached siena on december second where he was joined by cardinal giuliano della rovere he reached viterbo on december fourth he was received in a friendly manner by the orsini and lodged in the castle of bracciano alexander at last saw that resistance was hopeless he sent away the neapolitan garrison from the city commanded by the duke of calabria son of alfonso and came to terms with charles the king was to enter the city but not to cross the tiber into the borgo that is 
the part occupied by the Vatican and St. Peter's. The solemn entry took place on December 31st. No one was waiting for the army at the gates because the appointed day was January 1st, 1495. The king was attended by eight cardinals, among whom were Giuliano della Rovere and Ascanio Sforza. The procession lasted from three in the afternoon till nine at night. The greater part of it was conducted by torchlight. It must have been a wonderful sight, the motley Swiss with their huge broadswords and plumes, the ugly little Gascon archers, the gallant French cuirassiers, the thirty-six bronze cannon, each eight feet long, the king, the most hideous of the human race, at the head of his forty thousand troops. There was some talk of deposing Alexander, in which case the world would never have heard of Cesare Borgia, but the king had not the strength of mind enough to effect it. The pope shut himself up in the castle of St. Angelo, and Rome was plundered by the French. At last, on January 15, 1495, a treaty was made with the Pope by which he surrendered to Charles Terracina, Civitavecchia, Viterbo, and Spoleto. Cesare Borgia was to accompany the king in his enterprise against Naples. Gem, the brother of the Sultan Bajazet, who had been since the death of Mohammed II, bandied about like a shuttlecock amongst the princes of Italy, was to remain with Charles. Ostia continued in the possession of Cardinal Giuliano, and an amnesty was accorded to the disaffected cardinals. The effect of this treaty was to make Charles master of the states of the church. The following day, the Pope left the castle of St. Angelo and returned to the Vatican, where the king came to do him homage. In return, the Pope conceded the cardinal's hat to Bricone, bishop of St. Malo. Pope and king then heard mass together in St. Peter's. One thing Alexander steadily refused, to grant to Charles the investiture of the kingdom of Naples. On January 28th, Charles VIII left Rome, accompanied by Gem and Cesare Borgia. He marched along the Via Latina, the same which Charles I of Anjou had followed 229 years before. His enterprise might to many have seemed quixotic. Alfonso had the reputation of being the chief captain of his time and enormously wealthy. But as Philip de Comines has said, cruel men are always cowards. Alfonso shut himself up in his castle in a state of abject terror. The waves, as they beat against the foot of his palace walls, the leaves, as they rustled in the wind, seemed to repeat the burden, France, France. On January 21st, he resigned the crown, and his son Ferrante II, or Ferrantino, reigned in his place. The new king could make no resistance. There was no fighting except a sharp skirmish on the frontier. Ferrantino fled to Isernia, and Charles entered the capital on February 22nd. A few days later, the unfortunate Gem died. The French falsely said poisoned by the Pope. Gem was the elder of the two sons of Mohammed II, and if he had succeeded to the throne, being a poet and a man of letters, he might have carried out his father's design of fusing together the various races of which the Turkish dominion was composed. But Bajazet, 
being the first to hear of his father's death seized the crown on june twentieth fourteen eighty one the two brothers met in battle on the banks of the river yenishen jem was conquered and put to flight and took refuge in egypt after a second trial of fortune he determined to go to europe and to raise the standard of revolt against his brother he sought the protection of pierre d'aubusson master of the knights of st john and rhodes but he found himself little better than a prisoner as each european power regarded him as a valuable hostage d'aubusson sent jem to france and bajazet had to pay a yearly sum of forty-five thousand ducats for his maintenance jem was anxious to escape ferdinand and isabella of spain the kings of naples and hungary were all anxious to get hold of him at last after six years spent in france he was delivered over to the pope he entered rome on march thirteenth fourteen eighty nine in his first interview with innocent the eighth jem bewailed the bitterness of his lot and expressed his desire to return to egypt to the society of his wife and children he shed copious tears and the pope was much affected after the death of innocent he was shut up in the castle of st angelo the death of jem was a great misfortune to charles who had to give up his turkish plans and by it the pope lost forty thousand ducats which he received every year from bajazet for his brother's maintenance charles had conquered naples at a single blow and his success seemed little short of miraculous but while he was enjoying himself in that delightful city a storm was rising behind him already the ambassadors of ferdinand of aragon had torn up before his face the treaty of barcelona saying that it was broken by charles's attack on naples il moro began to be afraid that the duke of orleans might claim milan and that the french might occupy the whole of italy ferdinand of aragon dreaded the loss of sicily maximilian could not forget that italy had once owed allegiance in great part to the holy roman empire ambassadors from these discontented powers met in venice where philippe de comines the historian represented france a league was formed ostensibly against the turks but containing secret articles for the restoration of ferrantino the parties to it were the emperor maximilian ludovico il moro ferdinand of spain and the pope henry the seventh of england entered it a little later it was to last five-and-twenty years in the event of a war in italy each power was to contribute eight hundred cavalry and four thousand infantry except the pope who was only to contribute half that number if maximilian came into italy to receive the imperial crown venice and milan were each to send four hundred men-at-arms the league was solemnly proclaimed on palm sunday march thirty first fourteen ninety five this alliance is of great importance and may be regarded as the first serious attempt to secure the balance of power in europe we have reached the end of the middle ages charles after vainly endeavouring to persuade the pope to recognise him had himself crowned with great pomp in the cathedral of san januarius on may twelfth a week afterwards he set out on his return leaving about half his army in the kingdom as a garrison the pope fled at his approach but ordered that he should be received with every honour he re-entered rome on june first when he was offered apartments in the vatican which he did not accept he then proceeded northwards by orvieto and siena 
here savonarola came to him and bitterly reproached him with the excesses of his troops and with the grand opportunities which he had neglected he desired to avoid florence and passing through pisa prepared to cross the apennines his object was to reach asti where the duke of orleans was posted with a large army now was the time for italy to avenge herself the king was returning with a small force of fifteen thousand men having left the bulk of his army to garrison his towns if the army of the league could intercept him as he crossed the apennines he could be completely destroyed and the danger of french domination be crushed for ever four large rivers or rather torrents descend northwards from the apennines into the emilian plain one of these is the trebia on the banks of which hannibal won his celebrated victory over the romans the others are the reno the parma and the taro it was at fornovo on this last-named torrent that the army of the league determined to intercept the french king the battle was fought on july sixth fourteen ninety five it did not last an hour the allied army was four times as strong as the french but their generals committed two faults the marshal gonzaga allowed a large reserve to accumulate on the right bank of the taro where they were entirely useless and these soldiers who did not attack were chiefly occupied in plundering the french baggage the italians lost thirty-five hundred men and the french only two hundred the king was saved by the excellence of his horse savoy which had been given him by philippe de bresse charles the eighth arrived at asti on july fifteenth having got back much more safely than he could have expected or than he deserved the immediate results of the expedition into italy were slight even before the battle of fornovo the pope returned to rome and on the very day after it was fought ferrantino re-entered naples he did not enjoy his kingdom long he died without children on october seventh fourteen ninety six and the throne was taken possession of by his gifted uncle federigo count of altamura the deposed alfonso was already dead but the results of the expedition of charles in europe were more important it indeed deserves to be considered as the transition from the middle ages to modern times in the first place it revealed the renaissance to france and through her to the rest of europe the revival of learning beginning in italy gradually spread to all branches of human inquiry but it had scarcely touched france until the expedition of charles the eighth france is decidedly a most powerful distributor of culture and the french genius and language are specially fitted to make the discoveries of other nations the common property of the civilized world in the second place as we have already said the league of venice against charles the eighth is the first instance of a general combination of the powers of europe for a common object lastly this expedition marks the end of italian freedom we have yet to trace through a period of five-and-thirty years the dying struggles of that noble country but the death-blow has been already dealt and we shall see how state after state gradually sank into that sleep of insignificance which has only been broken in our own age perhaps it is a consolation that her final throes are decorated and in some measure concealed by the splendours of art and the enthusiasm of chivalry End of section eighteen
Section 19 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 9. Savonarola, Part 1. In this history, we have more than once mentioned the name of Girolamo Savonarola. It will be convenient now to give a more complete account of his teaching and his political views. Let us first mention two salient points in his influence. We have seen that there was in Florence a sharp contest proceeding between the democratic and the monarchical tendencies. Savonarola broke in upon this strife with a strong democratic influence, and we shall best understand him by regarding him from this side. At the same time, from the point of view of general culture, the Medici, as the supporters and distributors of the new learning, wished to form a union between Christianity and Platonism. To this, Savonarola was vehemently opposed. While Platonic banquets were being held in the halls of Careggi, Savonarola was thundering in the church of St. Mark against any admixture of Christianity and paganism. Savonarola was born at Ferrara in the year 1452, a city which the brilliant court of the Este family made as illustrious and as active as Florence itself. His early boyhood coincided with the time when Pope Pius II was preparing for his fruitless expedition against the Turks. Savonarola became a Dominican friar at the age of three and twenty. At this time he wrote to his father, the reasons which move me to enter the religious life are these, the great misery of the world, the iniquities of men, the adulteries, the robberies, the pride, the idolatry, the cruel blasphemies, for the age has come to this, that one can find no one who does good. When he was thirty years of age, the war broke out between the Pope and Venice for the possession of Ferrara, which Sixtus IV desired to convert into a principality for his nephew. The Dominican convent was broken up, and Savonarola entered the cloister of St. Mark at Florence, illustrated also by the names of Fra Angelico and Fra Bartolomeo. He found the Florentines at this time strongly opposing the interdict which Sixtus IV had launched against Lorenzo de' Medici, and supporting the bishop of Carniola in his efforts to call yet another council together at Basel. Up to the year 1490, Savonarola preached in various towns of Italy against the papacy, saying that a renovation of the church was necessary, which would follow its present misery as spring follows winter. On his return to Florence in the above-mentioned year, he found Lorenzo de' Medici fast friends with Pope Innocent VIII, but it was not consistent with his principles to approve of Lorenzo's method of government, nor of his enthusiasm for pagan culture. As we have before said, he was in politics a Democrat, and he regarded paganism as the natural enemy of Christianity. He attempted to reform his order. He did reform the preaching of his age, for a dull explanation of difficult texts of scripture couched in stiff and cumbrous syllogisms, he substituted a stirring appeal to the people in simple, homely language. He gradually assumed the style and tone of a prophet, 
there is no doubt that he considered himself prophetically inspired and thought that he was empowered by heaven to thunder against the vices of florence as isaiah and hosea had thundered against the vices of israel he dreamed that he had seen a sword suspended in the sky with the inscription gladius domini super terram quito et velaciter the sword of the lord above the earth speedily and swiftly he foretold the coming of a new cyrus across the alps no fortress and no sword would be able to stand against him savonarola was a man of small stature but well proportioned he had a high but wrinkled brow and blue eyes gleaming from under dark bushy eyebrows his most prominent feature was his nose which is familiar to us in the portrait of his friend fra bartolomeo or in the waxen bas-relief which his followers the piagnoni carried about with them as an object of reverence he was courteous in his address accessible to every one and marvellous in his power over men he knew the works of aristotle and thomas aquinas almost by heart and was probably better versed in the text of the bible than any theologian of his age the descent of charles the eighth into italy gave him that honour in his own country which a prophet so often lacks it seemed as if the king were coming for the very purpose of carrying out the preacher's views charles put forward as his two great objects after the conquest of naples the reform of the church and the expulsion of the turks from europe alexander the sixth did not much care for either of these ideas he naturally preferred that the church should remain as it was and he would have been willing to have placed Jem instead of Bajazet on the throne of Constantinople. But even if Charles seriously entertained these designs, he had not the ability to carry them out. He made terms with the Pope, gave up the design of the Turkish war, and left the reform of the church to Savonarola. Savonarola saw that political reform must precede religious reform, he has left on record his views with regard to the government of florence his principles were based upon the teaching of aristotle and thomas aquinas he admits that a good monarchy is ideally the best form of government but it easily degenerates into tyranny which is the worst the rule of the mob which according to aristotle's definition would be called oclocracy is detestable the florentines are too independent to put up with a monarchy they must therefore have popular institutions these once existed in full vigour but they had been corrupted by the medici into tyranny a republican government is best for the city but the offices must be filled by the genuine vote of the citizens and that not all of the inhabitants which could produce confusion and anarchy but only of properly qualified citizens who shall form the great council he looked forward to the entire abolition of party and to the equality of all privileged persons he made it as might be expected a matter of great importance that no one should be admitted to the council who was not a man of good moral character he promised his fellow-citizens that if they devoted themselves heartily to the common cause they should speedily obtain possession of pisa savonarola did not apparently see that pisa had as much right to independence as florence the constitution of december twenty third fourteen ninety four 
was drawn up under the influence of Savonarola. Under this there were to be two councils. The first was to consist of all those who had completed the age of twenty-nine years before January 1st, 1495, and whose father, grandfather, or great-grandfather had been elected to one of the principal offices of the state, these being seniory, the standard-bearer of the companies, and the twelve buoniomini, or if they themselves had held one of these offices. If the number of these exceeded fifteen hundred, they were to be divided into three parts, and each part was to hold office for six months. The number proved to be two thousand three hundred. Every year additional young members of not less than twenty-four years of age were to be added to the great council. The great council was to elect a council of eighty, called the Richiesti della Signoria, members of which were to be at least forty years old. The seniori, the various boards, the ten of liberty, and the twenty accoppiatori or electors, were also to form part of this upper chamber. These twenty accoppiatori had been appointed on December 2nd, 1494, by a parliamento or general assembly of the people in the great square to choose the seniori and the standard-bearer of justice. By this new constitution their power disappeared. Savonarola had considerable difficulty in getting his counsels of peace and pardon accepted. At that time the Otto di Guardia could by six votes send anyone into exile. This was supported by the common people as a security against tyrants, and especially against the party of the Medici, the Paleschi, as they were called. Savonarola succeeded in getting a general amnesty passed, and in giving those condemned to death or exile an appeal to the great council. It was also part of the friar's plan to do away with the right of calling a parlamento or assembly of the whole people in the piazza, which was the recognized way of changing the constitution. The abolition of this popular right was obtained with some difficulty. In fact, the proportion of Florentine citizens admitted to the government by Savonarola's constitution was small. The number of inhabitants of Florence at this time is placed at 90,000, whereas the number of beneficiati or persons capable of belonging to any deliberate or representative body was only 3,200. End of section 19. Section 20 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 9. Savonarola. Part 2. Whilst Charles VIII was engaged at Naples, parties in Florence were divided between the king and the duke, the latter having joined the League of Venice against Charles. Savonarola had supported the king, as he feared that the influence of the duke might be used to upset the constitution and restore the Medici. As we have seen, Savonarola had an interview with Charles on his way between Siena and Castel Fiorentino, in which, although he reproached him with his shortcomings, he did not altogether repudiate him. At this time he was the most powerful man in Florence, and was consulted upon all matters both public and private. But it was not likely that the Pope would forgive the monk who had endeavoured to overthrow him, or that the people would support him in his attack on the Holy See. Besides this, 
the cardinal ascanio the brother of il moro was always present to poison his mind against the friar alexander the sixth by a letter dated july twenty first fourteen ninety five summoned savonarola to rome to give explanations with regard to his preaching he declined to go pleading his weak health and the danger of leaving florence at so critical a moment the pope was at first inclined to accept his excuses but a second letter of september eighth written in a very different style suspended him from teaching and preaching and this prohibition was repeated on october sixteenth however in february fourteen ninety six savonarola ascended the pulpit saying that he had obtained leave from the pope in the meantime the franciscan friars of santa croce began to take part against him the city was divided between two parties the chief among savonarola's opponents were piero caponi alessandro da pisa francesco de medici giudantonio vespucci and bernardo rucellai they were of aristocratic interests and sympathies opposed to them under the name of piagnoni were francesco valori paolo antonio soderini and gian battista ridolfi if the first party gained the upper hand the friar would have to leave the city but both parties were united against a common foe they were equally afraid of the return of the medici from exile and of the destruction of the constitution and they knew that the friar and his sermons were their best defence against this danger the effect of the new constitution had been that the aristocracy and the old families lost their power in the state this was still further intensified by another change formerly no one who owed any money to the state could be a candidate or a voter for a public office they must all be what was called netto di specchio that is clear of the account books or specchio this condition was now done away with as the great council was too numerous for it to be enforced at one time as many as seventeen hundred persons were assembled in it the carnival of fourteen ninety six showed savonarola's power in a striking light the ordinary games and amusements were given up thousands of children walked in procession through the streets despoiling ladies of their useless finery and bringing their money to the frate to found a monte di pieta or public pawnbroking establishment where money could be lent to the poor on easy terms all this increased the bitterness of the friar's enemies sickness broke out in the city there was no employment for workmen the troops were not paid and at each of these calamities savonarola continued to preach that worse miseries than these must precede the desired reformation we have seen how much the power of savonarola depended upon the king of france on whom he had hung all his hopes of present improvement there was some talk of charles returning to italy in fourteen ninety six and repairing his former mistakes but the condition of europe was altered spain was now a united monarchy and even the duke of milan felt something of the patriotism of an italian maximilian the emperor began to assert himself he called on the florentines to submit to him and ludovico il moro supported his demand it was difficult for the frate to resist his influence the great desire of florence was to recover pisa but this maximilian sternly opposed he even marched into italy to its defence 
and prepared to attack florence on september thirtieth by the advice of savonarola a solemn procession was held in florence in which the picture of santa maria immaculata was carried with great pomp and ceremony on the morning of that very day news arrived that a favourable breeze had carried the french fleet into the harbour of Ligorne, escaping the hostile armaments of the emperor and the league this was a great triumph for savonarola and his friends who argued more boldly than ever that the arm of the lord was on their side his preaching took a higher tone he had a pulpit fitted in the hall of the great council that vast chamber which still excites our admiration in the public palace of florence he tried to wean them from earthly objects and from political ambition dost thou wish for peace he said serve jesus he told them not to place their trust in men but in god ah my people of florence you hang all day on these matters of temporal importance let them go i do not say that you shall not have what i have promised for that god has said but is it not enough that god has illumined you if florence were to go to the ground and lose its liberty and all temporal things would it not be enough that it has the light of god which may lead it into paradise let this suffice and if you are christians do not seek for anything but this light the carnival of fourteen ninety seven was even a greater triumph than that of the previous year all vanities all books and pictures which excite idle thoughts were collected and solemnly burnt and it is to be feared that many valuable works of art perished in the process the friar was destined to reach a still greater height of power in the state the standard-bearer of justice for the first two months of fourteen ninety seven was francesco valori one of the warmest supporters of the frate he was a violent opponent of the medici a man eager for his cause simple in manner silent in speech but very ambitious under his influence a measure resembling a progressive income tax was introduced and the age for admission to the great council was lowered from twenty-nine to twenty-four while measures of severity were adopted against the frate's opponents a reaction naturally followed for the first two months march and april bernardo del nero one of the bigi or medician party was standard-bearer and it was perhaps owing to this that on april twenty eighth piero medici made an attempt to return from exile he came close up to the gates of florence but was compelled to retire this defeat strangely enough roused the popular feeling against savonarola because he counselled moderation toward the medici party and piero's attempt made the citizens too angry to be moderate the pope now wrote to the signori of florence begging them to prevent savonarola from saying harsh things of the holy father after deliberation they determined that no friar should be allowed to preach on may fourth the feast of the ascension savonarola came down to the cathedral accompanied by a large number of friars by a large military guard and by a numerous body of private friends he mounted the pulpit and said you believed that i should not come to the pulpit this morning but you see that i am come perhaps you may say yes thanks friar to your guard and i will tell you that i did not summon this guard but that i would have come anyhow 
and that I will always come when the Lord God inspires me. No man in the world, be he who he may, shall make me stop in such a case. He went on to protest that he had been calumniated, but that he always returned good for evil. If I thought it better not to preach, I would leave off. I have received no order from the seniory not to preach, and if I had, it is doubtful whether I should have thought myself bound to obey it. At this moment, two loud knocks were heard in the church, which was the signal for a tumult. The friar fell on his knees and grasped his crucifix, exhorting the people to hope in Christ. He then descended from the pulpit and, accompanied by his followers, repaired to his own convent of St. Mark, where he finished his sermon. The expressions used by Savonarola had been an open defiance of authority. In consequence of this, he was excommunicated by the Pope, partly for not obeying his citation to Rome, and partly for his contumacious words. The Signory entreated the Pope to withdraw his excommunication, but in vain. It was published in Florence on June 11th. At the end of July, traces were discovered of a conspiracy for effecting the return of the Medici to Florence. The members of it belonged to the most distinguished families in the city, and the head of it was Bernabo del Nero, an old man of seventy-five, who had been standard-bearer of justice. Others were Niccolo Ridolfi, Lorenzo Tornabuoni, Giovanni Pucci, and Giovanni Cambi. It was proposed to refer the matter to the Great Council, but the case was finally judged by a pratica, or committee of a hundred and thirty-six persons, consisting of the signory, the sixteen standard-bearers of guilds, the twelve buoni uomini, the captains of the Guelph party, the ten of war, the eight of the balia, the officials of the Monte di Pietà, the conservators of the laws, the Council of Eighty, with the additional members. The vote was given not personally, but by the separate component magistracies, the five criminals were unanimously condemned to death. There was some talk of a new trial, but Francesco Valori courageously opposed it, and they were beheaded in the courtyard of the Bargello. It is not certain what part Savonarola played in this celebrated trial, but the probability is that he would have wished to leave the matter in the ordinary course of law to the decision of the great council. At any rate, the effect of what had happened was to give Francesco Valori the greatest authority in the city. The convent of St. Mark became the nucleus of the governing party. Every new measure was discussed with Savonarola. A private body of his friends decided on every subject of business before it was submitted to the Eighty. Even when it came before the great council, the assembly was found to consist almost entirely of the friars' friends. By these means, a free constitution had been gradually changed into a party government. End of section 20. Section 21 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 9. Savonarola, Part 3. In external politics, the party of the Piagnoni always held more or less closely to the King of France and hoped for his return to Italy. The opposite party were attached to the League of Venice, which had intercepted Charles VIII at Fornovo. 
of these milan and the pope were powerful members and the pope had recently shown his feeling against france by giving the consecrated hat to henry the seventh of england the party of savonarola were very careful to keep the elections to the public offices favourable to themselves the more so because they feared the vengeance of the friends of the executed conspirators the signory which governed florence in the last month of fourteen ninety seven were favourable to savonarola and they continued to negotiate with the pope in his favour but the friar did not await the result of these interventions and on the evening of christmas day in that year he celebrated mass at last on february eleventh fourteen ninety eight he again ascended the pulpit in the cathedral this is a very important event as it was a direct denial of the pope's authority in his sermon he spoke of the excommunication and denied its validity he said that it had been brought about by the florentines whose only desire was to do away with good living and the commonweal he said that if he did not preach he should be excommunicated by christ to whom he said should you betake yourselves to those who are blessed by the pope and whose life is a shame to christianity or to those who are excommunicated by the pope but whose life brings forth fruit of truth and daily becomes better a change now took place in the attitude of the pope toward florence it was believed that charles the eighth was preparing another expedition into italy and the florentines expected by this means to recover the possession of pisa which was the great object of their desire but the pope now suddenly promised to give them pisa and said that in his eyes its union with florence would be favourable to the unity of italy the florentines were on their side inclined to accept the offer it would cost them nothing whereas charles would demand a contribution in money on february twenty sixth alexander wrote to complain that savonarola although excommunicated was performing priestly functions and asked that he should be arrested and sent to rome he however continued to preach and prophesied the terrible retribution that would fall upon his country o italy thou shalt be given into the hands of savage people a barbarous race who shall only take pleasure in doing you harm and slaughtering men and in the sight of blood they will be barbarians cruel as lions and will come from this side and from that italy then shall be given into the hands of a strange people every one of which will rack his brains to do thee harm and even the worst they can and it shall be worse for rome than for any other city your property your treasures shall be given into their hands this many years later in fifteen twenty seven seemed to the piagnoni a prophecy of the descent of constable bourbon and of the sack of rome the pope's brief of february twenty sixth was referred to a committee which was favourable to the friar an ambassador was sent to rome with explanations but he found the pope very angry and he threatened florence with an interdict on march ninth in another brief he attacked the doctrines and the orthodoxy of the friar the citizens were told that to hear the friar preach was a sin that they might be absolved if they confessed immediately and promised not to offend again but that if they continued in their contumacy they would be papally excommunicated 
and could only be absolved by the pope a party now arose of young men of family who were opposed to the friar the head of these was dolfo spini party spirit ran high some said that Fra girolamo was a good and holy man but that it was safer to obey the pope an interdict would destroy the commerce and prosperity of florence others amongst whom was francesco valori asserted that the frate was a direct messenger from god and that the pope had no authority to prevent his preaching at last on march seventeenth a new committee determined to ask savonarola to suspend his preaching he said to the messengers who brought the news is that your will my lords they said it is he replied i have another lord whom i must consult i will give my answer to-morrow the next day he preached his farewell sermon he said the true believers must have recourse first to their confessor then to the bishop then to the pope but if all these forsake him he must go to christ and say thou art my confessor thou art my pope he agreed to obey the orders of the committee but declared that some sign from heaven would soon be given to prove the truth of his mission savonarola did not give up the struggle he persuaded his friends to write to the florentine ambassadors in france and spain that the time was come in which a general council ought to be called he drafted letters on the same subject to the emperor maximilian the kings of france spain england and hungary in these he declared alexander not to be a true pope these letters were never sent but they were written the schism in the city was not healed crowds still flocked to st mark's to hear the devoted friend of savonarola fra domenico of pesca who took his place in the pulpit at last a strange method was adopted for deciding the quarrel in the year ten sixty three a monk of Vallombrosa had charged the bishop of florence with having obtained his see by simony the charge was rejected by the lord of florence at that time but the monk offered to prove his case by passing unhurt through two rows of burning faggots he did so with safety and the bishop was condemned fra domenico da pesca now offered to pass through the fire to prove the truth of savonarola's teaching and a franciscan friar of santa croce offered to enter the flames with him to prove the contrary they would both be burned but the truth would prevail the authorities of the city doubted for a long time if they should permit the ordeal but at last they did so if fra domenico was burned savonarola was to leave the city everything was arranged the gates were closed the streets guarded the trial was to take place on saturday april seventh fourteen ninety eight the eve of palm sunday at four o'clock in the afternoon the propositions which fra domenico was prepared to defend were these the church of god needs renovation it shall be scourged it shall be renewed florence also after scourging shall be renewed and shall prosper unbelievers shall be converted to christ this shall all come to pass in our own time the excommunication recently launched against our reverend father brother girolamo is null and void those who do not observe it do not sin the platform necessary for the ordeal was erected in the great square of the seigneury it was forty ells long and five wide covered with earth 
and paved with stones so as to resist the fire. A pathway, an L-wide, was left in the middle, and on each side were piled up the faggots and logs of wood. The brothers of the two orders arrived at the spot and took up their position in the Loggia de Lanzi on the south side of the square. The Franciscans advanced in silence without ceremony, but Fra Domenico was dressed in full priestly robes and held in his hand a huge crucifix. Savonarola was also clad in a pluvial and carried a pyx with the consecrated host. Some citizens with lighted candles accompanied him. The Dominicans had been celebrating divine service in St. Mark's and marched to the square chanting psalms with a loud voice. An unexpected difficulty arose. The Franciscans demanded that Fra Domenico should take off his robes and dress like a Franciscan. They also would not allow him to enter the flames with the crucifix and the host. Savonarola would not permit him to go otherwise. The dispute carried till dusk, and the people were disconcerted and confused. The friends of Dolfo Spini, the Arabiata, and the Companacci, as they were called, proposed to seize Savonarola. The feeling of the people was now strongly against the Dominicans. They said that their wish to carry the host and the crucifix into the flames was an insult to God. The Franciscan had offered to enter the flames alone. The whole thing was a trick and a delusion. On Palm Sunday, Savonarola preached in St. Mark's, but those who went to hear him were threatened by the Companacci. A Dominican preaching in the afternoon in the cathedral was interrupted by loud cries. The tumult spread from the church to the streets. The people rushed to St. Mark's to bring the business to an end. The seigneury in vain summoned them to lay down their arms, on the condition that Savonarola should leave the city in twelve hours. They continued to shout against him and against Valori. Valori, who was at St. Mark's, returned with difficulty to his house, and on his way from thence to the public palace was met by some of the relations of the men whom he had had executed and was murdered. The monks defended their convent as well as they could against attack. Savonarola stood before the altar in the midst of his novices, with the host in his hand, the brethren kneeling around him in prayer. Then appeared the messengers from the seigneury bidding him to go with them. They guaranteed him against violence, and he determined to obey. He took leave of his brother friars in an affecting speech, urging them to remain firm in faith, prayer, and patience, and swearing to them, before the sacrament, that he had never preached anything but the truth. They then proceeded with lights and torches, and a large body of soldiers to the public palace, where he was thrown into prison. Savonarola's strength had lain in his opposition to the Pope, an opposition intensified by the different characters of their morality. Florence now desired to be friends with the Pope, and the supernatural foundation on which the friar had attempted to base his mission had broken down. His political enemies rose against him, his religious supporters could no longer defend him. The days which followed were most painful. Savonarola was examined under torture. We cannot be sure of the authenticity of the confessions thus extorted. It is said that he gave himself up to despair, that he doubted of the reality of his mission, that he confessed that he had always expected some supernatural intervention which never came. 
it is asserted that he admitted that his object had been the glory of the world and to have credit and reputation and that with this object he had invented his prophecies the seigneury which entered upon office on may first fourteen ninety eight was the bitter enemy of the friar on may twenty second he and two friars his companions were condemned to death they were first to be hanged and then burned their offence was declared to be heresy in denying the pope to be the true pope the perversion of holy scripture and the divulgence of the secrets of confession as well as the causing of dissension and deaths in the city the last night of savonarola in prison was spent in a parting colloquy with his disciples they communicated together and then watched in prayer after this savonarola slept peacefully his hand resting on the knee of jacopo nicolini who had come to comfort him the other friars were executed on may twenty third in the square of the signori on the very place where the platform had been prepared for the ordeal they were divested of their orders they then received a plenary indulgence from the pope which they acknowledged with reverence the first hanged was maruffi then buonavicini then savonarola as he mounted the ladder to his execution he gazed with widely opened eyes upon the crowd which had thronged to see him die and called out my people what have i done to you that you should treat me thus they were all dead before their bodies were burnt their ashes were thrown into the arno but their memory was long preserved and for many years reverent and loving hands placed fresh flowers on the spot where they had suffered on the anniversary of their execution. End of section 21.